I hope that you all had a very wonderful Christmas uh, with your families. I pray and hope that you um, enjoyed that time, that you were able to celebrate uh, the incarnation of Jesus together uh, with your families, with joy, with thankfulness. Um, but now we're kind of at that point where the the Christmas season has passed us by. And so inevitably, we start to think about the new year, right? Tomorrow is New Year's Eve. Uh, 2019 is right around the corner. And if you're like me, you're already thinking in that direction a little bit. Personally, I, I really enjoy this time of year. Of course, I love Christmas. I love celebrating the incarnation. Um, but I, I really enjoy the coming of a new year. Uh, I love to think back uh, about all the ways that God has been good to me, all like we like we sang, like we prayed, all the ways that He's demonstrated to me over and over His steadfast love, and He has He has been so good to me in this past year, and He has been so good to Northridge Life Church in this past year. I mean, if if you just think about where we were a year ago today, um, and uh, of course a lot of you. A lot of you are familiar with the story, but God has just done some miraculous things in this church body over the past year. Um, and it's so good um, and joyful to think back about those things and, and to thank the Lord for those things. Um, but even more so, it's, it's exciting to think ahead about a brand new year and what might be in store, what what might God have in store for me and for us in this coming year? How, how might this year be better than last year? How might I better myself or improve myself this year compared to last year? Some of the things we think about sometimes. It's usually the time of year where some people like to make New Year's resolutions, right? I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. And, and typically, um, our resolutions are in some way or another centered around the idea of bettering or improving ourselves, right? So I want to be stronger. I want to be healthier. I want to be thinner. I want to be richer, nicer, holier, sexier, what, you know, whatever your thing is. I want to I be something that's better than what I was last year. Um, about nine years ago, I, I decided, you know, I'm tired of being the real skinny, scrawny kid, and I want to I want to work out. I want to put a little muscle on my bone, and so um, I went out and, and I started this really strenuous workout program. And after about three months of working out really hard every day, I'd put on about 20 pounds of muscle, and I was looking pretty good. And things were going great. And, uh, and then I had three kids, and I stopped working out, and I'm right back to where I started, right? So some of you can, can relate to that. But, but that's not the point. Here's the point. Um, the, thank you. The point is uh, I, had, I had a vision of what I wanted to look like, of what I wanted to be like, and I went after it. And most of us, um, to some extent, have a vision of what we would like ourselves to look like and how we would like other people to perceive us, right? 
But as Christians, as, as believers, uh, here's the question that we must ask ourselves. What does God want me to look like? What does Jesus want to make out of this life of mine? So, so if, I am, if I am just a lump of clay and he is the potter, what does he want to make out of this lump of clay? How does God want to glorify himself through me and through this life? So with that question in mind, if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I'm going to read some pretty well-known verses to you. This is uh, the Apostle Paul, previously Saul, the Pharisee who persecuted the church. Um, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian church. So 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. Paul writes, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would take it and... Apply it to our hearts through your Holy Spirit. Change us, God. Make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul states here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, this passage that we just read, that a thorn in the flesh or a messenger of Satan has been sent to him to torment him. And guess what? He doesn't like it. He's kind of like, kind of like you and I. He's not, he's not too thrilled about it. Now, we don't know exactly what this thorn in his flesh was. The, the text doesn't tell us. It might have been a specific person or a group of people um, that were actively working against Paul and his ministry. We, we know from Scripture that there were certainly people like that. Um, it may have been some kind of physical ailment or disease that he was suffering from. It could have been any number of things. Uh, we don't know for sure. But what we do know is that something is causing him great difficulty, distress, pain, and suffering. And we know that he asked three times. In fact, he pleaded with God, please take this away from me. Take it away. How many of you have ever faced a significant trial in your life? I'm, I would guess most of you, right? And if you, if you haven't yet, it's coming. I'm not being a pessimist. I'm just being a realist, I guess. Listen, if you're, if you're wanting to follow Jesus, you will face trials in this life, uh, which is not a bad thing, by the way. So we've all faced significant suffering, or most of us had. And, and what is typically the very first thing we do when we face a trial? Say, God, take this away, please. 
The sooner the better, right? That's, that's typically how we respond as human beings to suffering. God, take this away. I don't like it. I don't want it. Paul pleads with God for this thorn in his flesh to be removed from his life. And God doesn't do it. Nope. So he, he pleads again a second time. Maybe God didn't hear the first time. Maybe he's testing my faith to see if, if, you know, if I'm believing him enough. So he asks again, God, take this away. Nothing. God doesn't do it. So he pleads a third time. Third time's a charm, right? Surely this time, and God will appreciate my perseverance in asking him, God, take this away, please. And this time, God does respond, but perhaps not in the way that Paul had envisioned. God says, my grace is sufficient for you because my strength is displayed through your weakness. You see, Paul's vision for his own life included less suffering, right? Paul's vision for his life was, I'm not going to have this anymore. God's going to take it away. And so he pleads with the Lord, please relieve my suffering. Take this away. And God says, here's the thing, Paul. My vision for your life is better than yours. What I have in store for you is, is even better than you could imagine. We see in, in this passage in 2 Corinthians that it's, it's God's will and, and indeed his good purpose to highlight and to expose Paul's weakness. Right? And, and this, is, this is Paul we're talking about. Apostle, evangelist, right? Servant of, servant of Christ. I mean, this, this guy had a lot to hang his hat on. Circumcised on the eighth day, a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, full of zeal, legalistic righteousness. In other words, Paul was, Paul was the guy that every other religious guy wanted to be like. like yeah, I want to I get to where Paul's at someday. Um, he was an example for everyone. But, but then he met Jesus. He met Jesus, and uh, Jesus did not leave him the same. He beheld the glory of Christ and his gospel, that the Son of God came into the world to save sinners. And, and Paul was never, ever the same again. And he recognized that God would be glorified, God would be magnified, not through his strength, not through his accomplishments, not through his vain attempt at self-righteousness. No, God would be glorified through his absolute weakness independence. And this is a theme, guys, this is a theme that we see over and over and over throughout Scripture from start to finish, that God delights in using weak, broken, unqualified people in order to display his grace and his power, right? Now, you think about Abraham. Abraham was an old guy, right? Some of you, some of you feel like you're old. Well, this this guy was older than that. He was 99 years old. Um, and God chose this old man at the end of his life to produce a son through whom one day all the nations would be blessed. Jacob, well, he was the second born, right? He wasn't going to get the, the blessings of the firstborn. On top of that, he was kind of a, kind of a deceitful 
kind of a shady guy, right? And God used him to bring about his royal line, um, his people, his chosen people. Joseph was a slave, right? His brothers hated him. I mean, you might think your brothers don't like you, but this guy's brothers threw him in a pit and then sold him as a slave to another country. That's pretty bad, right? And he does everything right, and then he still ends up in jail in Egypt, right? I mean, life's a disaster. Nothing's going right. And God uses this guy sitting in jail for something he didn't do to become the ruler of all of Egypt and to help someday bring about the deliverance of God's people. Moses was kind of a coward, right? He couldn't speak well. God used him as his mouthpiece to Pharaoh and as his mediator between himself and his people. Gideon, pretty insignificant guy, also kind of a coward, and he had a tiny army, right? He's got like 300 guys. What can you do with that? Well, God can use that, and he did, to defeat the enemies of Israel, the great Midianite army. David was just a boy who watched sheep all day, right? And he went up against a giant. How funny that must have looked. How the Philistine army must have been laughing as they see this little shepherd boy with his slingshot walking up to face the mighty Goliath. The disciples were, you know, a bunch of backwater fishermen from Galilee, uneducated, not, not the most intellectual bunch, right? And, and God used them to begin building his church and spreading the gospel to all the nations. Paul, Paul was a religious fanatic and actively working against the church. And Paul used him as, and God used Paul as the greatest missionary that we've ever seen to take, to take the gospel to all corners of the earth. That's what God does, right? So do we have any, any weak, unqualified people here today? Anyone? All right. See, that's a good thing because God is ready to display his grace and his strength and his power through you and through me. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to, to 31, Paul writes, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now, if we were to continue reading 1 Corinthians, um, we would find out that the Corinthian, the, the, the Corinthian Christians had started to become a little bit arrogant. They were starting to think kind of highly of themselves, right? Like, hey, we're kind of a big deal. We're kings, they said. We have everything that we need. And, and Paul calls them out. He says, wait a minute. Remember what you were when God saved you. You are in Christ, not because of anything that you did, but because of what God did for you. And that's the gospel, right? We are weak. We are broken. We are incapable 
We're helpless. We can do nothing to save ourselves, but Christ stepped in and did everything for us on our behalf. So boast in the Lord. Boast in Jesus. And not just when things are going really well for you. Boast in Jesus when you're suffering, when things are hard, because through your suffering, his glory will be displayed all the more clearly. So with that in mind, um, I want to propose to you a, a few different New Year's resolutions, right? So, hey, I mean, do your diet, do your exercise. That's, that's good. Uh, I'm not saying you shouldn't, shouldn't do that. You know, uh, do the things that you want to do. But, but let me propose a few other things for you to think about um, as we begin this new year. First, let us embrace our weakness so that Christ's strength may, de- may be displayed in us and through us. Uh, Matthew 5, verse 3, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, the kingdom of God is reserved for those who recognize that they don't deserve to be a part of the kingdom of God. To be poor in spirit, to be weak, is to recognize our own spiritual bankruptcy and to thank God for His grace, which is greater than all our sin. We bring absolutely nothing to the table. The only way we can approach Jesus is beating our breasts like the sinful tax collector in Luke 18, saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy. And remember what Jesus said. He said, this, this man today is going home justified. Not the Pharisee who said, oh, God, thank you that I'm so spiritual and so great. No, it was the tax collector. He said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Jesus said about him, you're going home justified. See, uh, the world doesn't need a bunch of weak Christians foolishly pretending or attempting to be strong. The world needs Christians who recognize their weakness, their poverty, their inability, and who delight in the fact that God loves to work through weak people. So this next year... Let us boast in the fact that we're weak and that God loves to display his strength and his power through weak people. Secondly, let us thank God for the suffering and the trials in our lives, knowing that they serve as a reminder of the sufficiency of God's grace and that we are absolutely dependent on his strength for every moment of our lives. Um, this past week, our family had a little bit of a rough week. Um, we, like many of you, had had a, a really busy season kind of leading up to the Christmas holidays. Um, and so we got through it, right? And we're a little bit tired, a little bit worn out, but now we get a few days off, right? Finally. And so we, uh, we take off Friday the 21st, um, to go visit Katie's family and just to, Enjoy a few days of rest and relaxation, kind of recharge, get ready for the new year. And uh, we are one day into our vacation, and my sister calls, says, uh, your house is flooding. Say, cool. (laughs) That's, I mean, I'd literally just been thinking, I mean, like minutes before, like, oh, man, this is so 
I feel so relaxed. It's so nice to have a day just to just to chill, not have to do anything. The phone rings. Your house is flooding. Okay. All right. So, you know, call the, get the plumber over there, turn the water off. Of course, you know, these things always happen over the holidays, right? I, I don't know why that is, but it always seems to happen. So we're thinking that, uh, you know, it's the worst floodings in the laundry room. It looks like maybe we have a, a leak in one of the pipes in the wall. Okay. You know, we'll get it fixed. No big deal. Um, so we got the plumbers over there. He calls me, uh, that day or the next day says, well, it's, it's not in the wall. You have a slab leak. Okay. So that's going to cost a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Good. That's what I wanted to hear. Thank you. But maybe, you know, we might be able to reroute your water through the attic and, you know, that would be so much easier. It'd save tons of money. Okay. God, give us favor, please. You know, please allow this repair to, to be simple, to go through the attic, um, to cost less money. Um, you know, please, Lord, just I would appreciate it if you would make that happen. <clears throat> so he calls the next day. No, we, we can't go through the attic. We've got to bust your floor up. Okay, God, I, I know you're doing something and your purposes are good. I believe it. <clears throat> okay, so we're going to drill a huge giant hole in your laundry room. Okay. All right. So they drill a big giant floor and they call back. Well, the place we drilled the giant hole is not where the leak is. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> this is get this story's getting better all the time. So we got to drill an even bigger hole um right in front of your bedroom. Okay. So they do that. Um in the meantime, we get home Wednesday the 26th, and I mean, our our house is a disaster. It is, I mean, we've got these massive gaping holes um, in our house. Our kitchen is covered in piles of dirt, like this high. I mean, it's just, there's mud and dirt all over the house. Uh, it smells bad. You know, we just got back from a trip. We can't do laundry. We can't take a shower. We don't have any running water. It's just, it's just nasty. In the meantime, Ellie's, Ellie's been sick. Uh, we've been dealing with that. Then Katie gets a really high fever. So we're at home. We have no running water. Katie's sick. She feels terrible. It's Ellie's birthday. We're trying to, you know, kind of do something, but we're, we're dealing with this plumbing disaster. They tell us it's going to be a couple more days before we get our water back on. In the meantime, then Ellie hurts her foot. And so it's, it's Friday. Katie's still sick. She's with Ellie at urgent care, getting her foot looked at. Jude's starting to get sick. And it's just like, listen, no one, no one died. Things could have been a lot worse, but it just kind of felt like life is collapsing on top of me. I'm sitting there and I'm just like horribly stressed out. And then I get a text on my phone. I look at it from Pastor Mark. Hey, I've got the flu, and I really, if you can, I need you to kind of take things for Sunday. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know if I laughed or cried or both, probably both. Um, and, uh, and of, of course, my initial reaction was, no, there's no way. I mean, you could literally not have chosen a worse week to ask me to, to do something on Sunday, uh, anything really, let alone preaching and leading the service. I'm just, there's no way I can do that. My life is falling to pieces around me and I am at the very end of myself. I can't do it. And God 
as he so often does, whispers, my grace is sufficient for you. Right? I'm, I'm like, God, I don't mind preaching these sermons, but do I really have to live them out too? Apparently, apparently so. <clears throat> um, my grace is sufficient for you. The beauty of suffering, the beauty of trials, and again, in the grand scheme of things, these are, these are small things. They felt really big, you know, but they're, they're small things in light of eternity. But the beauty of suffering is that it reminds us to stop trying to be strong, stop thinking we have everything together, and to fall on the Lord and to rely on his mercy. And we need to be reminded of that again and again and again. So when trials come, listen, they will come. They'll come. When trials come, instead of immediately telling God that he needs to take them away, right? Take it away. I don't like it. What if we first asked him to give us a heart that could rely on him and trust in him no matter what? What if that were our first response? Ask him to give you the grace to endure suffering well for the sake of his glory and for our sanctification. Remember, God's vision for my life is so much better than my own. And, and third, finally, let us learn to help and encourage each other as a community, as a body, as a family, as we seek to let God's strength shine through our weakness. Galatians 6.2 it says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Listen, weak Christians need other weak Christians to help them and remind them to rely and depend fully on Christ's strength. I need that from you. And I think you need that from me too. And God's glory shines all the more brightly through a community of believers embracing their weakness and God's strength together. So whatever this new year holds for you and for me, and I, I pray that it is, is full, it is full of blessing and God's favor. Um, but whatever this new year holds, I, I pray that we would learn to embrace our weakness. I pray that we would learn to rejoice in our suffering. And I pray that we would learn to do that together as the body of Christ. May, may we be a church, may Northridge Life be a church that boasts in its weakness so that God's strength and glory might be exalted for everyone around us to see. Amen? So I think it's really appropriate that, that we end this year and begin this new year um, by celebrating the Lord's table together. Um, see, in communion, we have the opportunity to, to corporately declare our weakness in Christ's strength. See, we, we come to these tables with nothing, nothing to give, nothing to offer. We come broken and poor. But in Christ, through his broken body and his shed blood, we receive Everything, everything. And so we want to celebrate that together and just end the service and end this year uh, worshiping the Lord together. I'm going to ask our guys um, to come up if they would um, prepare.
the bread and the cup. Um, and let me read to you these familiar verses from 1 Corinthians 11, which says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let me pray for us. Um, and, uh, and then as the Lord leads, just come up, take the bread, take the cup. And as you do that, give thanks that even though you come to the table with nothing, absolutely nothing to give, because of Christ, because of what he did, you are richer than you could ever imagine. Amen? So, Father, thank you that your vision and intention and purpose for our lives is so much greater than we could ever even comprehend. Thank you that you do work all things for good for those who love you, who have been called according to your purpose. And Lord, even the things that look really bad, you are working for our good. And we may not see that, we may not understand it, God, but thank you that it's true nonetheless and that we can put all of our faith, all of our trust, all of our hope in you, our anchor, our firm foundation. And so, God, we just, with thankful and humble hearts, want to approach your table this morning. Thank you for your body broken for us. Thank you that you became weak so that we could be strong. Lord, and help us to help us to celebrate our weakness so that your power might be displayed in us. Father, thank you for your blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you that your grace is greater than all our sin. Our sins, they are many, but your mercy is more. And so all we can do is say thank you, Lord. Thank you for sustaining us and carrying us and loving us unconditionally with your steadfast love. May this now just be a time where we, we rejoice in what you've done for us through your Son and what you will continue to do in us and through us, Lord. And may your, may your strength and your glory shine greatly through us and through this church, Lord. We give you all the glory, all the honor, all, all, all power, all glory, all honor belongs to you, Lord. We exalt your name. Worthy are you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.